What's up, everybody? My name is Billy Boozer, and I'm super excited because this is the first episode of the Hustle Mob podcast. What's really cool is we don't even have a name for this thing yet. I mean, we're, we're considering all kinds of things like uh, bringing hustle back, you know, in like a bringing sexy back tone or, uh, you know, every day I'm hustling or everyday hustle. So we're trying to figure that out. But the most important thing here is that we're going to bring you amazing guests that help you figure out what stage in your hustle you're at and how to get to that next stage of your hustle. Our goal is to take you from side hustle to a business that helps provide for your family and takes advantage of everything that, you know, tax law, accounting, all of those things that will help your business to grow and actually provide for your family. So I'm super excited to have my first guest here today, and that's Jake Evans. Jake was a former congressional candidate. He's a lawyer, one of the best lawyers in all of the Southeast, and in my opinion, one of the best lawyers in the nation. And so uh, I just wanted to bring him on and share with you all what uh, his experience is with bringing companies to life, uh, you know, from a startup to large enterprises, and be able to help you figure out what stage you are at and what things you should be thinking about along the way. So what's up, Jake? How are you? Good joining you today, Billy. It's it's an honor to be the first guest on this podcast. I think it'll be a big success, and uh, I admire you for keeping the hustle going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the one thing. If anyone wants to know about what it takes, it just takes you not stopping the hustle. Like if you stop the hustle, then it's over. If you, it, what is the old saying? You know, the dream's not dead until you stop dreaming, or whatever that is. Like you just got to keep going. And so I'm super excited about this. So give me a little bit of background on you, Jake Evans, and uh, tell me a little bit more about you. As you said, Billy, I'm an attorney, been been practicing for God over 10 years now. It's amazing how how fast time flies. Uh, native Georgian, grew up in Georgia. Billy and I actually. I went to high school in the same county together, Douglas County, went to University of Georgia for undergrad and law school. Uh, And early in my career, I started representing, you know, a lot of early stage companies, a lot of startups, uh, a lot of companies that, you know, as you said, Billy, had a dream, had a hustle. They were trying to make it materialize. They were trying to sometimes make sure they had the right legal protections and structures on the front end. And sometimes they didn't. So we'll have an opportunity today to kind of talk about the pitfalls, talk about the best case scenarios, talk about what to look for, uh, talk about the unknown unknowns, because of the danger of law for many respects is, you know, entrepreneurs, they don't want to be bogged down. They don't want to be strapped down. Uh, but if you don't get the right agreements drafted early on, that can cost you far more money uh, than a capital raise maybe would have otherwise earned you. So you want to have the balance between the proper legal protections, but also having the flexibility to get out there and push your product to the market. Awesome, man. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I'll echo a couple of those things is you know, you've got to really think about when you're beginning your side hustle and when you're thinking about taking it into maybe forming an entity around it, there are things that are that, that help create either protections or value for you as a individual. And so, I mean, I think Jake, because he's a lawyer, has much more experience than than even I do, even though I've started multiple businesses on the nuances of what what those valuable elements are of starting an entity or what the pitfalls are of not doing that. So can you speak to like, you know, let's say I am somebody that 
uh, owns a, a lawn mowing business or a maid service. And, you know, I'm out there doing the job, but I don't necessarily have an entity that protects me, or I don't have an entity that's actually providing extra value for me. Speak to the value and the protections that exist by actually creating something that will house most of the business operations that you do on a daily basis. Yeah, well, I think you hit on a, a core first step for any entity. Uh, under Georgia law, in almost every state, there's a, a couple of different structures you can operate a business under. The first is a sole proprietorship. A sole proprietorship really means that you have no liability protections. You're operating as yourself. Uh, and from a liability standpoint, that's the most dangerous way you can operate. The next is an, a limited liability company or a corporation. And those, as you just said, Billy, are very important because what they do is they provide a shield. They provide a liability shield that creates a separate structure from you and the entity. And the reason why that's so important is you want to protect your personal assets. Your business is one thing. Your business uh, under U.S. Constitution jurisprudence is a separate legal person, which me means that it operates independent of you. It will have its own debts. It will have its own contractual obligations. It will have its own bank account. But you as a person, you have your own house, you have your own car, you have your own TV. And so you don't want if the company defaults on some type of contractual obligation or some type of note, if you're taking on a convertible debt of some sort, uh, you don't want those debtors to come on and attack you personally. So one of the first things I tell people to do, uh, and anyone can do it, you don't have to be a lawyer to do it. Uh, is go to the Georgia Secretary of State's websites, create a limited liability company. Now, the second part of that is you have to maintain the corporate formalities of whatever entity you create. Uh, so you can't just create a limited liability company and then commingle the assets and only have one bank account. Or you can't have a limited liability company and sign on behalf of yourself personally acting like you're signing on behalf of the company. But by doing that, if heaven forbid the company doesn't work out, uh, you can dissolve the entity. You can file for bankruptcy and all the debts of the company will then wash away with that company and they won't be able to attack your house, your car, your TV. And so creating a separate legal entity and there, it, we can get into more detail as to whether you create a limited liability company or you create a corporation. That's a whole nother discussion. But that is the first step. And it's a step, unfortunately, a lot of folks forget. Uh, but you want to do that right off the bat when you even whenever you're having discussions, because let's just say you have a discussion and someone says, oh, you, you um, misappropriated my trade secret or copyright. Well, they could sue you personally for that. But once you start out operating as an agent of the entity, only the entity can be liable. And that's very important. So like when do you suggest that people, I, I know you said right off the bat, but you know, for us as, as side hustlers or people that do hustles or people that do startups, a lot of times we think about it as, you know, we've got to get to a point in which there's, there's value that we're creating for the end user. But it sounds like you suggest go ahead and create it, you know, at the onset, like, is, is there some happy medium there where, you're thinking about, well, you know, I either have to build this piece of software or I have to gain a couple of customers to prove that there's actual value that I'm creating. Is, is there a spot in between there that you think is probably the right place to do it? 
what I would recommend is every entrepreneur create a holding company of some sort. It, it could be Boozer Enterprises, Boozer Holdings, whatever it is. And you operate on behalf of that entity at all times that you are creating ideas of some sort. Then if you get to a, a point where an idea has materialized that distinguishes itself just from whatever that holding company is, then you can create a separate entity. So you got Boozer Enterprises at the beginning. And let's just say we've created the idea. We're going to have, you know, Hustler Podcasts and we can thereby create a separate entity, which is Hustler Enterprises or whatever entity that you want to create because what that al allows you to do at all times you have some type of shield because again there are many different ways a million different ways you can be sued and if you're not a lawyer you may not know you know you may not know that soliciting certain clients could expose you to liability you may not know that making certain comments could qualify as defamation but if you're doing it as an agent of an entity only the entity can be personally bankrupt. And that's just, you know, part of building capital is not losing capital. I mean, you, you talk at the great Warren Buffett, capital preservation is as important just about as, as anything you've got. And so creating legal structures that provide you that additional layer of liability protection is something down the line will make a tremendous difference. And once you get, there are many, many uh, true entrepreneurs that have, you know, one holding company and 15 subsidiaries. And so you've got multiple layers of liability protection. And that's something as you continue to evolve, as your businesses continue to grow, you'll have to think about adjusting the structure to provide the highest level of protection from a liability standpoint. That's interesting. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people always think about it as like, oh, I'm going to start an entity. But even starting an entity that allows you to constantly have that protection and that layer of shield between you and the underlying assets that you have as an individual sounds like an absolutely amazing idea. I have uh, a few entities that we have that that help us do that exact thing. And you've helped us set up some of those in the past. And it definitely does lower the concern as an individual that I have you know, with the things that I do on a daily basis. I mean, you know, we always talk about that concept of moving fast and breaking things. And in some industries, that's absolutely fine to move fast and break things. But then in other industries, moving fast and breaking things can lead to you being in jail. And so it is important to think about these things. So, you know, you mentioned, I think, a website earlier that you could go to create an um, LLC, but also like, you know, give us some context on what someone should expect to spend, what time they should expect expect to take to get the, one of those entities off the ground? I mean, the costs are minimal. I think you're looking at, you know, $125 to incorporate one and then, you know, a $75 annual fee is somewhere around that. And it's, it, it's very, very easy. I mean, the additional layer is of sophistication is do you incorporate in Delaware? Uh, for big capital raises, a lot of these investors are most comfortable with the state of Delaware. Delaware has just about as many incorporations in any state in the country, uh, and it's because they have a very well-known, steady, reliable jurisprudence on corporate law uh, from both a statutory standpoint and case law standpoint. And then the next step that I would think about, as soon as you're bringing on any investors, you want to have either bylaws for a corporation or an operating agreement for a limited liability company. And what those are really is those are the constitution of whatever corporate entity you have. One of the biggest mistakes I've seen 
many uh, small businesses and early stage entrepreneurs make is they think that if, if you're in agreement with everyone when you start, you'll be, be in agreement with them forever. And that's just not the case. I mean, you need those documents the most whenever controversy arises, whenever money starts coming in the door, whenever things get tight. And the sooner that you can iron out those details, the better. You will save yourself so much money. I've seen innumerable disputes where, and one of the most common ones is who owns what percent of equity. I've seen five different operating agreements with five different cap tables. One says one person someone else 30%, another one says someone else 20%, 15%. And so you, the sooner you can iron out all those details, the better. And it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, yeah. I can't tell you how many times what happens is people don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations. But the reality is you're going to have it at some point. I will promise you, you might as well go ahead and get it out of the way and have it early because it can save you from supreme heartache late whenever money starts coming in. And I've seen, you know, litigation, disputes that equate result in hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees fighting over these exact questions. So iron them out early. So first, Billy, you've got incorporation. Second, you've got the corporate governance documents. And third, have those difficult conversations early in a company. Yeah, I think I think that shines a light on something that's really important. If you're if you're going to start a business, even if it's a single person sole proprietorship or a single person entity, there are going to be difficult conversations that you have to have, whether it's with your customers, whether it's with partners, whether it's with actual business co-founders. Your ability as an individual to um, address those situations, not only in the appropriate timing, but the appropriate tone with the people that you either care about or that are partners or customers that may have disputes with you is one of the most important attributes of a leader is being able to actually address those things with the level of empathy and with the same level of concern that it requires for you to protect your own business. I think one of the things I would encourage people to do is every time they approach those situations, be very objective about the outcomes that either you expect or the people that are around you expect. And when you approach those situations, always approach those situations with empathy for the people that are around you. Think about what their intended outcomes are, what their intended goals are. And when you do that, you at least have a good perspective on what they're trying to get out of the situation. Because if you can figure out what someone wants out of a situation, there are many different ways to remedy that concern, right? You don't have to necessarily remedy it with you know, extra equity in a business or extra capital in a business. There are a lot of different ways you can figure out how to solve those problems or at least avoid those problems. But if you aren't thinking about that and you're leading with emotion every single time, I think a lot of times that's when those situations go in a negative direction. I think one thing that you mentioned just a moment ago was the different classifications of businesses. And most of the people that we're going to be talking to, or at least talking towards with this podcast are uh, people that are really thinking about LLCs more than they are a uh, C-Corp right out of Delaware. They're not necessarily looking to raise $5 million. What they're looking to do is provide some protection for them as individuals, but also create an entity that houses the entirety of their business, right? This could be a maid service. They've got 10 or 12 maids that sit out and go out uh, eight to five every day and clean people's homes. This could be someone that cleans gutters or pressure washes driveways. And so 
with that in mind, there's some differences between the way you actually bring on a partner, right? There's there's a difference between, I think, what is it, LLC membership units or something like that versus an actual share of a business. Can you can you explain that in a very high-level sense? Yeah, no, you're right. And and first, the there are distinctions between limited liability companies and corporations. The, the first is that limited liability companies, the administrative costs are lower, meaning the, uh, your ability to have an accountant come in into your taxes, the degree to which you have sophistication in the equity structure. If it is a more simple business, which is you and a buddy or just you, I, I recommend 100% a limited liability company. You can also have them tax as a pass-through entity, which means that you're only taxed at the individual level. You can also do that with a S-Corp, uh, which is the same way. Corporations give you the biggest advantage they have is they really increase the flexibility of the equity instruments you can use. So you can have multiple classes uh, of stock. Uh, you can have uh, different types of stock, common stock. You can have stock that is tied to specific assets of the company. So if you are a company that's looking at multiple rounds of capital raises, a series A, series B, series C, whatever it is, or you're looking to one day go public, uh, from a sophistication standpoint, corporations undoubtedly are the best avenue to go down. The only downside, as I said, is administrative costs are more uh, are higher. You're going to have to hire a lawyer. There's no way you're going to be able to buy yourself, even if you are a lawyer, if you're not experienced in this area, you're not going to be able to document multiple rounds of capital raises. It's just not possible. And you're not going to be able to negotiate with investors. The one point that I will also make is one of the most important decisions you will make as a business owner is who you partner to do business with. There are many, many businesses that I've seen that have taken on money what I regard is money that's too expensive from really, really bad investors, investors yeah. that come in that boss you around that are so difficult to deal with that destroy almost everything they touch. And so you just like investors are vetting you and your company, you want to vet them you, or not even investors, just like anyone who's looking to join your enterprise, you want to vet them. The best way to do that is look at the track record. Do they have a track record of success? Do they have a track record of stable friendships, stable uh, family relationships? If they're all over the place, if they're constantly unhappy, if they're constantly complaining, that will be one of the biggest bullets that you dodge because one bad actor can destroy an entire company. That is the single most important advice that I can give any early stage company is be very, or you, you got a side hustle, be very careful, even vendors, even clients, uh, any of those folks can make a devastating impact. One bad person can destroy it all. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I've run into those situations throughout my career and they've always been difficult. And I think the way to look at it from when you hear the kind of like entrepreneurial books and things like that talk about this, they talk about it as a marriage, right? And you would not get married to somebody that you would, would not have lunch with, right? Mm -hmm. And when you run into people that say, hey, I will write a check into your business, there's something exciting about there. There's something that says, hey, someone is betting on me, but not not all money is equal in the sense mm -hmm. that not everyone has the skills to back up the thing that they've provided to you. We see this, you know, everywhere from angel investing all the way up to, you know, private equity where 
it changes the nature of the business itself. And in these early stage businesses that are side hustles, you know, you could even think about it in the context of, let's say someone offers to buy a piece of equipment for your business to help you move forward with it. What are their interests and what are their concerns when they go to make that offer to you? Are they purely just saying, hey, I want to help you get a leg up? Or are they wanting to be a part of that business? And both of those concerns are completely different. So, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that this is one of those situations that you want to be very careful with the relationships that you allow to penetrate the veil of becoming a partner or becoming vested as uh, a vested party in that business. Well, cool. Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate this conversation, Jake. And I, I want to go to some more lighthearted part of the conversation. <laughs> I, I want to find out just a little bit more about you. So, I've got a couple questions that are, uh, you know, not necessarily directed towards business, but are really directed towards, you know, who you are and how you think. And so tell me about what's the fa your favorite documentary you've ever watched? Probably the one I enjoy is The Last Dance, which is mm -hmm. Michael Jordan's. There's a series on Netflix. It is so good where yeah. it goes through Michael Jordan and his career. I don't know if you've seen it, but oh, absolutely. I mean, he was just a remarkable guy, competitor at the highest level. It goes through him going to play baseball uh, to fulfill the legacy of his father. I, I, I feel like that, as far as overcoming adversity, being the ultimate form of a competitor, seeing how he uplifted everybody around him. I mean, it's a very, very good documentary. I enjoy that one. You know, what's interesting about that one, that feels like the intersection of someone that had the maximum amount of hustle and the maximum yeah. amount of talent, yeah. right? They yeah. had talent and hustle. I, I, I mean, clearly he's the goat, the greatest of all time when it comes to basketball. And, and, and truthfully, there's no argument in my opinion to the, the, to the alternative, the idea that not only did someone come in with the best talent possible, all of the attributes needed to be able to be successful, but they also did didn't meet that with slothfulness. They didn't meet that with yeah. being lazy, right? Like we've seen basketball players. I played with basketball players that went to the NBA and they had all the talent in the world but some of them did not want to work as hard as they needed to, to become the best. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it reminds me of Kobe Bryant and his killer instinct, RIP Kobe Bryant, because he was probably one of the most driven human beings that has ever existed yeah. in that, in that context of that sport. And him and Michael seem to be a cut from a similar cloth. There was no wall that they were not going to try to break down to get to the goal that they wanted to. And so, yeah, I, I very much appreciate that. What about what is your favorite book, either business book or, you know, something that taught you something? Because in the context of what we're doing here, you know, we want people to constantly be making themselves better, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how if you pour into yourself and invest in yourself, the outcomes and the the multiplier on your life is be begins to increase. And so what, what's uh, what's your favorite book that you've read recently? I think Good to Great by Jim Collins is a great book. It, it, uh, it for any entrepreneur or even lawyer, I read it. I mean, the, the basis of it is effectively you want to simplify your message. You want to create in your company an ideology which drives the company every day, which your employees can resonate around. And one of the most interesting things, which I, he analogized success to a flywheel. And it's one of the big wheels, you know, that's on a mill. And he says, when you first start turning it, it's so hard, it's so heavy. But once it starts to get momentum, it increases at an exponential rate. And he evaluates a number of companies 
which went from good to great. And if you look at them, they're kind of just pushing along, pushing along, and then they have a breakout year uh, where they just explode. But he's got great management tips in there. He's got great leadership tips, great operational tips. Uh, so that's a very inspirational book. And then there's simple books. There's Getting Things Done is a good book. It's on time management. Um, it's not exactly the most alluring book from an excitement standpoint, but it gives tips on what you can do to manage projects better, that you can manage workflow better. Because all of us, I've never met someone that couldn't improve in some respect to organization. And so whatever you do from a functionality standpoint, that's a good book to check out. I think one of the things that you hit on is, is that people on a mission are much more motivated and much mm-hmm. more focused around what their goal is. And I, and I got to observe that, you know, the, the last thing I did was I was the chief product officer for this thing called true social. And funny enough, we're filming it on the one year anniversary of us launching oh, really? that product. Yeah. So today <laughs> was the one year anniversary at this time, you know, 12 months ago, I'd probably not slept for 48 hours. I was relieving some of my engineers because they had not slept. There were people sleeping on couches everywhere. And we were just trying to maintain. And the reason why we were able to maintain was because we were all on a mission to do a specific thing that we all felt like was going to make the world a better place. Because of that, you know, we had complete buy-in across the entire team. It was truly a blessing to watch and see people on a mission executing at the highest level that they possibly could. I'm glad that that lesson was taught to me during that time because, you know, I'd had a lot of people talk to me about, you know, you got to you got to perpetuate that mission within a business and I'd not really seen it executed as well as I did in that moment. So give me some information if somebody wants to reach out to you, give them some context about, you know, what they should reach out to you for and how they should get in contact with you. Well, first I appreciate coming on. I think this will be great Billy informing people giving them, you know, simple information uh, in a simplified form as much as we can. But as I said, I've represented many, many early stage companies. I represent many middle market companies. And and so I'd be happy to help anyone or talk to them about legal issues they have. My email is jakeevans at hallbluesmith.com. That's a law firm I work at, Smith. My cell phone is 678-777-4793. Anytime you want to reach out to me, please do. I'll be happy to help, happy to guide you through all the legal complexities. And I will say my last point is the sooner that you can address all of these things, the maximum amount of money you will save in the end. Uh, I cannot emphasize that enough. There's so many times people come to me when if they just had an agreement or even something written down on a napkin, that would have been enough. But because they had nothing, we had to spend tens of thousands of dollars to try to fix it. Earlier is better. There's no doubt about that. Well, I appreciate it, Jake. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm Billy at HustleMob.com. If you go over to HustleMob.com, go ahead and pre-register your username. We're allowing people right now to select custom usernames. Uh, we may charge for that in the future. You know, HustleMob is a platform and a community to provide tools for uh, early stage entrepreneurs, early stage side hustlers to take them them from a side hustle to a real business that provides for their family and 
and create more value. Our mission is to create more businesses and more small businesses in the United States because we think more businesses in the U.S. is a better outcome than less businesses in the U.S. So we really appreciate it, and I hope you all have an absolutely fantastic day and keep hustling. That's uh, that's the name of the game. Y'all have a great one. Bye.